Welcome to Rethink Retail, the show where we dive into the stories and strategies behind some of the most successful brands on the planet. From brick and mortar giants to e-commerce disruptors, we uncover the secrets to their success and deliver the keys to true retail transformation. So ask yourself, are you ready to rethink retail? The future of retail starts now. Welcome back to another episode of the Rethink Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Kirat Anand, live from Boca Raton at Boston Properties Headquarters. With me is Cheryl Clark. Cheryl is the president and CEO of Boston Proper. And I have an immense pleasure of being here today. Cheryl is a longtime friend. So Cheryl, thank you for taking time. Thank you for being here. I'm excited. This is going to be fun. You know, Cheryl's been leading the brand for over a decade and a half. I'm not trying to date you. These are the numbers they've given me. You know, prior to joining Boston Proper, Cheryl had key or leadership positions at Bloomingdale's Gap and Old Navy. She's also a board member for the Boca Chamber of Commerce. And while leading Boston Proper, she's led her team and steered the, uh, the brand through multiple strategic pivots, ownership changes, and, and a significant pivot within the, the push from digital transformation mm-hmm. from, from a catalog legacy focus. But we're going to get into all that. And I think what's been really exciting for me to see is through this journey is you've always kept the mission, the core values, and Lucy as your North Star. So I'm excited to learn from you, Cheryl. Thanks for being here again. It's been an amazing journey. I'm happy to share my experiences. And as always, I'm always looking for new opportunities to understand how we can take the business to the next level. Well, first, Cheryl, let's start about your background. Let's start with your journey in retail from your early days at the bakery of Bloomingdale's to running all of merchandising for Old Navy, yeah. every category, yeah. wow, to now your current role as CEO and president for Boston Proper. Can you walk us through that journey? Yeah. So I've always wanted to be in fashion. I always wanted to be in retail. So I specifically went to a college that allowed me to get my bachelor's in business economics, as well as my associate's degree at FRT. So I had the financial background, but I was also on the journey of what I really wanted year, which was make clothes and become a merchant. So my first job was a bakery. It was a huge disappointment when I got my first assignment. We've chatted about this yeah. numerous times. I thought I was going to, of course, get like the contemporary YES department of Bloomingdale's and I got the bakery. But as my learning over the years has happened, it's make the best of every situation you have. Always show up your best and do your best because you never know what that is in your journey. Yeah. So the bakery was fundamental for me to learn how to be a leader, how to be a team player, how to work with a team live, like ordering cakes and doing all this <laughs> stuff from the customer interaction. It was a hospitality business. So I really learned how important the customer was there. And then from there, I moved my way up to the executive training program. And I was bored. The yeah. independent provider just wasn't for me. It was a little boring. I wanted to help create the clothes so that I'm making sure that I'm listening to the customer and giving her what she wanted, not just from listening to her, but what I knew was happening and how to evolve her into that direction. So I went to The Gap in 1993, stayed there for 16 years. Wow. Yeah. I had tremendous experiences both at The Gap and Old Navy. Great leaders, great mentors. There's so many amazing women that company has develop their talent and put out in the world and they're out there now. And it was great. I, I think some of my memorable moments was when I got offered the job to be the VP of men's and yeah. I turned it down yeah. because I was like, I'm a women's merchant. 
got called to the principal's office and basically he explained to me, you know what, you just want to be a woman's fortune your whole life. And I was like, no way. Yeah. We're in our own company. Yeah. He was like, you're not going to do it. Just staying in women's out of gas forever. And it was pivotal because I, I reflected on it and I took his advice. And the reason why I think I got the job yeah. at Old Navy mm-hmm. a couple of years later to run all of the adults was because I had that men's experience. I love it. Right. And had I not taken it, they might have gone outside and looked for somebody that had both men's and women's experience. So I, I always feel like in the moment, you may not understand the journey you're on, yeah. but understand there's a purpose for it. Yeah. And, and you're going to come back and be happy that you took the chance. I love that. And it's interesting because as you talked about the journey, you brought up buying croissants or muffins at the bakery or buying men's at Olavia. These were things maybe you weren't excited about, but you leaned in and, and you wanted, you accomplished, mission accomplished. For those who are not familiar with Boston Property, let's get to Boston Property. Yeah. I've known Boston Property for years, and I feel like it's probably one of the best kept secrets for women over 40. It's a brand known for unique designs. It's known for always being on trend. And most importantly, I think today, it's known for having high quality fashion at affordable prices. How have you kept the brand relevant for so many years in such a competitive landscape and maintained that loyal following for so long? You know, it's funny, part of me was thinking, because I made a lot of mistakes, that's how I was able to keep it relevant, by understanding, by taking chances, learning from when the chances were right, how to pivot those like further and get more growth out of them. And when they weren't right, how to quickly pivot to get back on track. And I think the only way you can be alive and thriving in this industry for, you know, I've been in the industry for almost 35 years, but even with a company for as long as I have, it's by listening understanding and pivoting. So you've got to understand, you've got to take risks, you've got to take some chances, calculate it, and then learn from them and move. And I think that's what happened because I think about my career here in three parts. Part one was founder-owned. Like what an amazing experience, yes. right? How I go two public companies yes. to a founder-owned company, great culture, like just amazing. Like it was yeah. so refreshing to me. I'm such a fan of small companies and entrepreneurialism because you get to really do what you set out to do. Yes. So that was my first journey. My second journey with Boston Proper was when we sold the brand to Chico's. Mm-hmm. Definitely a journey for me because I had never put together a book and went on the road and tried to sell a company to both strategics and to private equity. So that was a, like an amazing learning experience. The time with Chico's was hard. There's no sugarcoating it. It was hard, but I learned probably one of my biggest retail lessons during that time period. And I am so focused on, and I think it's helped me yeah. coach them, really help grow this brand. And then the third part of the brand is post Chico's when we sold the private equity and the journey we've been on to become a digital yeah. force in the marketplace. Amazing. You, you team me up for my next question, but one thing that I heard you echo over and over again was learning and being curious. And it reminds me of a book by Carol Black, the professor at Stanford called Mindset. She has two clusters of children. Have you read this book? I heard about okay. this book. The two clusters of children, the know-it-alls and the learn-it-alls. And she says the learn-it-alls always outperform the know-it-alls, the know-it-alls, excuse me, in the long run. So that authentic curiosity to learn and grow, I, I hear it from you. I've known it from you for so many years. And it, it's proof that Boston Proper has done so well. You mentioned the jumping in the ownership or the, I would say transformation. So in addition to our global retail community that listens to our podcast, our senior executives, we have a lot of startups and tech companies, and I would love for them to have some insight on your experience with the various ownership structures you just touched upon, right? You, from your time when you first started, 
meeting Michael and Mark for strike days and family owned, like you said, yeah. to Chico's public company, very big corporate, very different. And then Brentwood, which is again, another sale that you did, but privately owned, private equity from a management or an operator's lens, which you've had all, all three different ownership structures from family, public, corporate, and then private equity. Can you give us some insights or lessons how each are different and maybe some of the challenges or opportunities? Yeah. So I would say when uh, family owned, it was a great opportunity to jump in and honestly, just start with the discipline that you need. I think from a corporate background that I yeah. had, the discipline that I brought to Boston Proper, the tools that we were using, the analytics of the business, introducing things like data scientists and yeah. understanding really what the data is telling you, but using that to help curate amazing products for your customer. It was freedom for a while. Like it was great. And I think because the company embraced me, I was able to take my learnings and we were able to actually do it in a way that was great to the organization and to the culture, bring in some of these processes, some of these disciplines, some of these tools. So that part was amazing. I think what happens sometimes with founders, though, is you get stuck mm. and you need some cash to grow. Absolutely. And so cash I think, yeah, cash helps. And not being part of the VC world, because we were a new brand when I joined, the brand is already 15 years old when I joined them, we thought either strategic or private equity would help fund the growth of the business. The strategic part, having been at these public companies, I was keyed up and experienced in it, but I didn't realize how challenging it would be for a culture that was not so corporate to, to embrace a corporate culture and some of the challenges we had. So when you're a founder, you make decisions right away. The hallway conversations work. Like we decide things, we don't like something, try something, we pull it back down. Like we had all of the control. And when you become part of a corporation, there's a process. There's a process. And when you're the smallest fish, every other big fish yes. is there. And then if they use all the time, then your stuff never gets done. So it was just a challenge for us. I think also being part of a, a corporate company, you don't necessarily control your destiny. Yeah. In a lot of ways, Wall Street does or the message that we're trying to send does. So what I love about what we do now is we can control our growth and we can stage it out. And we aren't hitting or trying to hit artificial kind of milestones. Yeah. We're hitting real milestones. And we're not sketchy about the brand. We know who we are. And because we lost ourselves a little bit because of our brand is a little bit of a sexy brand. It and is. it didn't really fit with the the Chico's culture. So it was just another hurdle we had to jump through that I think watered down the brand. But could you bit. leverage the economies of scale there? Could you leverage uh, a big marketing budget? Like, because I understand the, the challenges, yeah. right? But what was the advantages, I guess, of being yeah. publicly owned by this massive and having this massive balance sheet? I think the advantages were that you actually, I think there's probably two. Acquiring talent's always great when you've got a big company with Big human resource department. Yeah. Pay the salaries. Yep. The stock, yeah. all of that, right? Okay. So yeah. there's something good there. And I think, listen, they definitely had resources that opened our eyes to a lot of different technology that we might not have been able to afford, mm. which now I would say that those are the things that we're now implementing, things that we learned. Yeah. Tools were amazing, right? Like all, all those parts of it yes. were fine and they okay. were great. It's, but that's not really something to work, right? We come here because we love what we're yeah. doing. We have it and we're in touch with the customer. When you know you're doing something that's not right for the customer. I think. People at Boston Proper come to work for Lucy. They do. So let, let's tell the, the listeners a little bit about Lucy. Who's Lucy? Where else does she shop? 
let's define her because I know the avatar. Yeah. I know the software. You know her. Yeah. Who is, who is she? I would say that knowing, defining who she is and every day keeping she alive and every decision you make throughout the whole organization yeah. is probably my single biggest learning coming from Chico's because I do feel I let them see down during that time period because I watered down the brand to become what we needed it to be at the time. And Lucy didn't like that. She was mad at me. So I was happy when we switched ownership, went back, we went to Brentwood, that I was able to go back to Lucy in a full way that allowed her to have the curated assortments, the specialness, the uniqueness, and the price points that she really wanted to run the best. Yeah. Well, Thankfully, Lucy didn't break up with you. No, I'm you, so you, glad. You just had she some, gave yeah, you some time. Yeah, she, she gave you just time. had to do some counseling and yep, you're back together, exactly. which is exactly. always good. But tell us a little bit, like, where does she, where else yes. does she shop? What's her average age, yeah, so income? Where does she live on the coast? Yeah. yeah. Lucy is over 40. Her average household income is 200000 She's college educated. Her kids are most likely out of home or in college. Lucy has a job, so most of our Lucy okay. are working. And Lucy really wants to be notice i think the key differentiator is she wants to she likes to go walk down the street and have people say you look great i yeah. love that coat. That yeah. there are people in the world who don't like yeah. that if you don't then our brand isn't your brand because yeah. you're going to get stopped in our brand and somebody's going to say god that's such a great jacket or where'd you get that where'd you get that dress so that part of it is really what i love about lucy because yeah. that's who i am yeah. like if i went on a shopping trip or i went to the mall even or yeah. i went out to dinner and someone didn't say i love your dress or your yeah. I would feel a little deflated. <laughs> Lucy yeah. likes to be noticed, yeah. but she also wants to make sure it's age, trend, and fit appropriate. I love that. And that's what we do here. We literally take the trends that are out there and we analyze them and say, are they right or wrong for Lucy? A lot of them are right. Crop tops, not right for no. Lucy. But with waistlines coming up and tops getting shorter, we can figure out the right proportion yeah. for her so she feels trendy, but not and- to try. And you can do a peekaboo cut in a certain spot. Exactly. Which makes it so comfortable and wear it like nobody no, else. That's what a true working design team does. Absolutely. I love that. Okay. So now you've told us a little about Lucy. Let's talk about the evolution of the channels, right? So you've led Boston Proper through a few channel transitions, starting your 100% catalog central. Okay. Think then you went and you had almost 20 stores, Legit. right? Absolutely. And those stores were, these were the early days, the showroom stores, right. the, the guide shop, right? Which now everyone is doing. Warby Parker's famous for doing it, et cetera. Then you went back to being fully catalog with a little bit of digital presence, mm-hmm. right? I would say it was still catalog centric and yes. focused, but there was digital support. And now I think you're flipping it where you're more focused in digital with catalog support, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And and how we track it really is looking at our spend. Okay. So when I joined the company, I would say 95% of our spend was on the catalog. Yeah. Right. So in through the Chico's time periods, it was probably still about at least 85%. And, was and for still. the listeners who don't know, what does that mean? Is that spending on editorials? Is it spending on buying mailing lists? Is it spending it's on printing it? What does that mean? that catalog. That's it. Making gotcha. it happen. Making it happen. And then the, the distribution of it in the sense yeah. that we thought, different um, things that you do to yeah. promote the catalog. Yeah. It's really, it was really about the catalog. Yeah. Um, email a little bit, SMS a little bit, yeah. but I mean, I remember the days when we would send emails just three times a week. <laughs> wow. Three times a day. Yes. Right? Like, yes. The world has changed. Yeah. What happened was we started getting into digital little by little. And as it worked, we just started moving more money there. And then with COVID, the cost of everything went crazy, right? I mean, paper prices went up. So we had to become more strategic in how we were acquiring customers. Yep. And so 
as we started to understand how digital work, we hired some great people to help guide us down the path. And we started seeing that we could acquire a customer for less digitally than we could with the catalog. Okay, so then what does that mean? How do you stop? How do you not throw the baby out with the bathwater? It's the biggest challenge we have. Even to this day, we're still trying to move in a very thoughtful, incremental way yes. of growing the yes. digital so that we don't lose the catalog customer. And right now, I would say we're about 60% of our spend is now digital, which Amazing. is revolutionary Amazing. for this brand who was, I mean, anyone who knows the brand over the course of history, it was always a catalog brand. And where is she engaging digitally? So we're seeing her engaged. First of all, emails and SMS are incredible for our customer. Okay. And then the social platforms. We didn't think TikTok was going to work. Lucy loves TikTok. She loves TikTok. But also all Instagram, Facebook, like the social channels work for her. And we're listening. So now she's, we're also streaming. We're, we're doing OTT and streaming. Wow. And we're also doing podcasts. So we're trying new things as they happen. But I will say none of this would have been possible. Had we not done Project Atlas? Okay. Like, oh, what's Project Atlas? Talk about Project Atlas. So Project Atlas was when we basically got off a legacy platform and ERP and went on to Netflix and Shopify. Oh, of course. It, they Game changer. <laughs> because that is the platform that we now yeah. can do all the things that we're doing. Yeah. We can launch We can launch Colitos, which is our, our digital catalog. We yeah. can do Yapo through loyalty our ratings and reviews. We've got now influencers on the website. Their little films, their, yes. their reels are on the website. Like We couldn't have done any of this if we didn't get the platform right. And we love our platforms. I, I love it. So they're moving the legacy tech infrastructure into something more agile, something quicker that gives you ability to test, has able you to not only engage your core follower, but also maybe add on new customers. Yes, honestly, like what we're doing it, it just blows my mind. And we talked about in the beginning about learning. I feel like I've literally in the past 18 months went back to school, got my master's in digital marketing or something yeah. because I didn't know about all of these things. And now all the names and what we did, and it's just it's pretty incredible. Yeah. So I think there's a big debate that happens within management leadership about buy versus build yeah. technology. It seems you're, from what I'm hearing, your team is more in favor of testing technology and then buying it not to build it in-house. Is that correct? Yeah. Listen, when you're a small company, and we're yes. a small company, yeah. I and mean, we have less than 100 employees, including our distribution center and our sales center, which is based in Boca, you don't have the infrastructure in many times, and you don't have the time. Yeah. So for us to be able to plug in, like the Shopper's Life's plugins The plug-in play is huge. It's revolutionary. And nobody nobody tries to reinvent the wheel. You go buy a car, yeah. right? So, so why do it with technology? Exactly. I understand. So- Tell us about what your team has recently, which solutions they've recently, which platforms have recently maybe tested, and you're maybe thinking about leaning in on, and, and which one has really improved the UI and UX experience for Lucy and driven some growth? Oh my God, there's so many good questions in there. Okay, so okay. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to have to look at my notes for this one. Yeah. Okay, so. We don't want to leave anybody out. Shopify, NetSuite, and Edited are yes. the three bases of what you do. Edited is, is an, an enterprise tool that helps us work at our business. Okay. Great plug for Edited, dynamic action. It's a wow. great place for a small company yeah. to get all of their data. Okay. So every day we get sales from them, we get all these different charts. It's amazing. Then we launched loyalty with Yapo. Yeah, you mentioned that. We love them. They also do our ratings and reviews. So it was able to kind of okay. connect the two together. And it allows us to really hear and understand what we see is saying. The good, the bad, and the ugly so that we can then listen and make improvements. So that I'm big on that. 
So Miracle and our VP Marketplace. So one of our ideas, basically I'm going to step back a little second. We put together a strategic plan that had three pillars. Okay. The first pillar was really about omni-planning because we were so catalog focused. All of our tools were catalog tools. So like eight, 10 months, 12 months in advance. Yeah, how do you do it? And the, uh, yes. the, the KPIs yes. are yes. very different. And what we were realizing is we need to look fiscally what happened in March. Not yeah. what catalog did we drop in March, yeah. but what happened on the website, what happened to our basics, what happened to our web exclusive collections, and what happened in the digital print event. Okay. Getting that, getting a new planning system, which we're about to do. And I can't say who it is because okay, we haven't fine. finalized it, but that's we've fine. got a new planning system and we love it. We're super excited about it. Pillar two is about the customer experience. So okay. that was really about understanding Lucy's journey. What are the things that matter to her? Speed was big, right? Yeah. Getting and understanding CRO and literally every day, Tian, who runs our web platform, has she's testing different things to make sure there's less and less friction, that it's a seamless experience for Lucy, that we're giving her the speed she wants with the convenience as well as an amazing, creative-looking website. Okay. And then the third pillar was about marketing evolution. And that's the journey to, to digital, but it's also about how do you still keep the catalog relevant because it's important for yes. us to use that as a marketing vehicle, but what are the other new things? And again, like I, I didn't know what OGT was, with streaming of, of us. Course. Like we, I, I walked in my Pilates class one day and one of my Pilates girls was like, hey, is that your commercial? And I was like, what? I was watching Hulu and a Boston Network commercial came on and I was like, oh my God. Because nobody watches linear TV anymore, exactly. unless it's NFL. Yeah, exactly. Unless it's exactly. NFL. And that's yeah. my husband's on the YouTube thing. For the- <laughs> <laughs> that's very true, actually. Yeah. yeah. So that was amazing. But also podcasts and understanding that we should listen to podcasts. And yes. if we can get authentic podcasters to talk about our brand, yeah. it, it resonates with her and it means a lot. Yeah. We put a lot of good plugs there for some we of these startups. Did. I was looking at some of the NRF and Adobe analytic numbers yeah. from online Black Friday. Cyber Monday this year, just last week, and there were record sales. I think it was 9.8 billion and 12.4 billion, respectfully. So as we talk and think in the media about inflation still being high, transportation costs, wages costs, even had Doug McMillan come out and say costs are up and they're going to stay up and the consumer's feeling it. The numbers don't reflect that. The numbers are reflecting the consumer's confident and spending. I would love to see what you're forecasting for this holiday season and maybe what certain indications are for next year. Where do you feel the consumer is? I will say we were pleasantly surprised with our, we call it Cyber 10, okay. the 10 days from the Wednesday before Thanksgiving through the Tuesday of Cyber Monday. We were really excited. But I think the, we were most excited about the fact that our gross margin dollar comp doubled our demand comp. Wow. Which meant, we did what we said we were going to do, which was be strategic about our promotions, lead her to where we felt like she needed to go, especially with the upcoming holiday season and things that she needed, and be in front of her by having a product that was right for her. Now, when we started season developing clothing, the first thing we talk about is what she was doing this month. Yeah. What are the events in her life, and how can we at Boston Proper help her through that month? And then we lay out the stories. Because that, to me, is the single biggest differentiator for us, from our competitive set, is we're telling Lucy a story, and we're giving her multiple choices in the story on, if you're going away, here's some great options. If you're going to parties, here's different ways that you can put yourself together, from a work party to an intimate dinner party to a big gala. Like, how can you do it? So the storytelling has become more and more important to us, 
And I think it differentiates us from a bunch of stuff. We don't serve stuff. Yeah. We tell stories. And I our stories that. help build her confidence and our confidence helps empower her to make amazing decisions in her life and change the world. Exactly. I love that. I love that. <laughs> I also want to touch a little bit about some of the philanthropic work that Boston Property does, and you do personally as well. I mean, if you talk about Dress for Success on, on the national level, and then even the Center for Children and Families here in Delray, I know, I think you guys have donated over a million dollars collectively throughout the years, and some of your work on the Boca Chamber of Commerce, and most importantly, how you empower women, and the importance of acceptance and inclusion, and how you feel that sort of core to the values of, of, of Boston Proper and the culture of Boston Proper. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah. When I joined the company, listen, when you're at The Gap, The Gap is a very philanthropic organization. Yeah. I mean, the Fishers have done amazing things and given back. So I, I think I grew up knowing that's my responsibility, not only as a human, but as a leader yeah. in an organization. So when I came here, Michael and I, Michael was the founder, yeah. Yeah. partnered, and the Achievement Center was her right thing for us. And so for over 10 years, we did the proper affair and we had a fashion show and we donated everything to them so it was well over a million dollars that we were able to donate and it was important because it was a local charity and we could see the effects of what we were doing every day when we see these kids they come for halloween we, yeah. we do an adoption tree we do all of this stuff to help give back to them and sew up the results so it was exciting to see and watch kids as they grow through that the achievement center and they get to college. And I remember one year we bought this girl, she was going, she was going off to college. We bought her her prom dress and we got her a computer or laptop so she could go. And so it's just so, they matter. Even today, I don't know if you saw her, you walked in a different door, but we're doing a sample shelf for charity today. All the proceeds will go to the Booker Chamber of Commerce for their yay event, which is their event where they take, they do a shark tank for high school kids. And Amazing. Yeah, so it'll help fund that. So it's important for us, for us to show up in the community as a fellow traffic organization who's giving back that care. And me sitting on the board of the chamber was important because it allowed me to help affect what's happening in Boca. Yeah. And this is where our headquarters are. So it all worked together. And then dressers expressions are made because when you're in the fashion business, you've got lots of samples. And so it's just so many. So to be able to use that to help women who are going on their first jobs, who are trying to get yes. you know, interviews, Dressers Success has been a great, great partner with us. No, no, I, I definitely see that. I've seen you do that. Before we wrap, I, I, it's amazing that neither of us have mentioned the 800-pound gorilla hovering over most of the industries, including ours, Gen AI. Yeah. It's funny how we haven't brought that up yet. But how do you see this technology affecting retail or fashion? And if you were a young professional, second part of the question, if you were a young professional today, what would you tell that young professional regarding this tool? I think the AI tools are pretty incredible. And they really allow us to get to the heart of certain issues or problems and understand what's going on yes. a lot faster. So for the way that we're using AI to help us understand Lucy more and help serve Lucy what she wants. So if Lucy's a dress customer at Boston Copper, me serving her up skirts or, or tops or jeans isn't the right thing for us to do. Yes, I want her to eventually buy those categories, yeah. but if she's a dress customer, serve her up the dresses and then allow her to shop for the other things. And it, I think what else happened over time is she will start to buy more yeah. as she sees that we're listening to her through AI. Absolutely. And we think there's tremendous AI opportunity across the board. My sourcing team is working at how we can start the design process and working with the factories using AI, especially for the fitting process yeah. and some of the 
tech stuff that goes back and forth and, and um, the design packages. The website's incredible. I mean, you're going to go on to the Boston Proper website and see something different than I am yep. because we have a tool called Graphene that basically will Personalize. Yeah, personalize. It's going to personalize me yes. versus you. And within the personalization at Boston Proper, we're telling our stories. So we're still controlling it a little bit because the story is important, but we're letting the story kind of flow the way that you want it. To it's like you said, we don't sell products, we share stories. Yes. So everyone has their own personal story. Yes. And honestly, I think it's going to hit the creative world very soon. Yeah. So my head of creative is definitely looking into all the tools out there and seeing what's next for us and how we can incorporate it in what we do. I, I love it because it sounds for me that you're embracing AI and the technology yes. and that's how you're leading with your team. And you're doing it very purposefully, thoughtfully, and you're setting these guardrails for your team so they can use the tools, they won't fail, and it helps you compete with some of the larger Absolutely. companies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, technology has moved so fast. I was talking to my head of merchandising, a merchant. When I started the company, yeah. my skill sets as a merchant are, they're irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. Not all of them, no, of some course. of them. Of the course. world has changed so much. You can't just be a person who helps curate and develop product, you have to understand the website and web metrics. You have Absolutely. to understand your store metrics and your catalog metrics. But when, but when we started or when you started, I think it was that it was almost like the boot camp, the, the department store training yes. program. Was yes. the best. I mean, I started in finance and we had that for investment banks. I was at JP Morgan. They had the training program for investment bankers. And then a private equity or a VC firm or a hedge fund would steal you. I think the same That's way the, like the, the department stores store yes. would teach you and especially stores who wouldn't want to put you through that rigor and yes. process, they'd yes. eventually steal yes. you. That's like, exactly what happened. Come and be an executive here. Absolutely. I mean, the gap was there. Literally, I, my last few years at Bloomingdale's, I was talking to them like every three months. Just I don't think the, the department right stores time. had that program. Not to the degree of importance yes. that it was back Yeah, there. okay. Cheryl, I usually like to end with a rapid fire. Just some fun questions top of mind. There's no right or wrong answer. Let's start with an easy one. A favorite city you would love to go or you love to go for shopping for inspiration? I love to go to Milan. I mean, like there's no place like Italy. And especially for the Boston Packer customer, Lucy definitely has a, like the Milan designers resonates with I I, I see a bit of Extro in in Boston Packer. You get a lot of inspiration there. Yeah. I definitely see Milan as a good, good answer. Favorite movie or show on fashion? The Devil Wears Prada was the most revolutionary yes. movie ever. Yes. I mean, I could watch that over and over and over again because for me, it was like the first time people kind of understood this business. Yes. Because a lot of times when you say you're a merchant or a buyer, they're like, what is what that? Is that what is that? Yeah. yeah. I think next time we get together, we have to watch that movie. Yeah. Great. What book is on your bedside table? Okay, this is like a little secret thing. Yeah. I don't know. Well, this is just a private, this is a private, no one knows, <laughs> just you and I having this conversation I, in your conference room. No what? one else is here. I read, I truly do read in my Kindle, so I'm yeah. not a- Okay, that's fair enough. Okay. And I read to escape. Yeah, I know. And so I tend to end up reading like romance novels. That's and, okay, nothing wrong That's what I'm okay. doing, just because okay. I want to get rid of it. I don't know my day to day. I love to sit by the beach with like a nonsense yeah. book and just read through it. All right. I love that. Good answer. One thing you would tell a younger Cheryl Clark. Embrace the journey. Mm. I rushed every promotion I got. I looked at the next level and said, how do I get there? How do I get there? How do I get there? How? And I just think so much of the time in between, I didn't just start to embrace. When yeah. I think about the fact that I went to Europe like 50 times. Yeah. 
did I really enjoy it? Did I stop? Was I always on the go? I was always on the go, yeah, right? We have to start. We had to see. We had deadlines. Yeah. We had to make it. Yeah. Like you wanted to get home. So I don't think I embraced every moment of my journey as much as I could have. So that's why I got my tattoo. Yes. Yeah. And says embrace the journey. I love that. Personally, for me, someone I, I, I feel who has accomplished so much professionally, is there a goal still out there professionally you're looking or striving to accomplish? I love what I do for Boston Proper and Jorginsky, and I want to continue being at the helm of a company yeah. for 15 years, even though it's had its ups and downs and different types of ownership. This next phase uh, will be great because I feel like the digital transformation is amazing. I feel like the team I have here is so strong. Yeah. The curation of what we're doing is very special for Lucy. And the brand hasn't reached the potential yet yes. that it has. And a lot of it's because we have been best kept secret. Yes. And so I, I'm excited to, for us to gain some brand awareness and some momentum out there in a bigger way. Yeah. It'll be fun for the team to get the kudos that they work so hard for. No, absolutely. And I think under your leadership, they're definitely going to get there. I'm excited to, to cheer you on from the sidelines as always. Thank you for your time. This has been an immense pleasure. Thanks again, Thank Cheryl. you for your support. And honestly, I'm so excited to be part of this. So thank you. Yeah, this is Kiran Anand signing off to the Rethink Retail Podcast. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Rethink Retail Podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. That's rethink.industries slash podcast guest. Follow us on Twitter at Rethink underscore retail and show some love by subscribing on iTunes podcast app. Until next time.